Once upon a time in a land far, far away lived a man and his name was Monty. And this man was unlike any other man. He was brave. He was strong. Now nah, he was full of shit. He's just like every other dude. He's got problems just like everybody else. Welcome to Monty Talks With, the podcast about true life shit. Buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining me on the second episode of Monty Talks With. And today we are talking with a good friend of mine I've known for several years now. Uh, actually, probably close to a decade now, if not right at a decade. Uh, my friend Elias Dan is joining us today. How are you doing today? I'm doing as good as I can, dude. I'm uh, pretty sure I've come down with the COVID. That sucks, man. I hate to hear that. I I hope that's I hope that I've I've heard so many different um so many different people that have gotten it say that they've dealt with different you know, um, symptoms and being asymptomatic, some of them. So I hope that's, that's something that you can, uh, get over fairly easily and quickly. Yeah, man. Like it it was weird because I think it was like right after Christmas, um, I had a socially distanced Christmas, you know, we did have a small family gathering, but I mean, everybody was in masks everybody yeah. was staying apart we didn't even ha- serve food you know it was right uh, a very um thought out and the day before i started to have a sore throat and i was like oh, i better check my temperature no yeah. temperature no fever and uh we went i kept my distance from people and uh the christmas day eve or the day after i like just realized i didn't have any sense of smell damn i think dude. i was yeah i think i was like uh pouring some coffee or i was eating something at home and i i was like why doesn't this smell <laughs> right yeah and uh yeah I, I, no sense of smell lit incense sucked that incense smoke in yeah no smell and i was like oh she can we can yeah I, can i cuss my good yeah go for it yeah but i was like oh shit you know and uh so like i went through all that it was i i figured no it wasn't on christmas day that i started getting symptomatic i figured everything out new year's eve and yeah it's like oh crap i need to go find a, a test Hold on a sec. Yeah. Actually, you might want to pause. Both of my okay. kids just woke up, and I don't think their mom's awake yet. <laughs> okay. Hold on just a second. All right. Sorry about that, dude. No, you're good, man. Um. So yeah, I it was the di- it was New Year's Day. I'm certain of that that I lost my sense of smell. I ha- I started having sore throat, a little bit of a cough, but I was like, I'm okay. I don't have a fever. I'm fine. Probably just have a cold. 
<clears throat> and then I lost my sense of smell like the, yeah, New Year's Eve. And I was like, okay, I got to go get tested. Could not find anywhere to go get tested on New Year's Eve. Um, I still haven't gotten tested, but I've just been uh, shut up at the house and right. um, holding it down. And I guess I'm going to try to go get a test today, man. But uh, yeah, I, I like did the whole socially distance thing. I, I kept away from people. I wore a mask in public. There may be only been like one or two people that I have been around that haven't worn masks, uh, like my little sister, you know, and lo and behold, I got it. I don't know who I got it from, but I got it, man. And it sucks. Yeah, man. I, like I said, dude, I, I hate to hear that, but I've heard so many people say exactly what you just said. You know, they've been wearing the masks, they've been staying socially distanced, you know, they've done everything that they've needed to do, but then somehow they still end up getting, getting the COVID. And it's like, you know, we, we do everything we can, but sometimes Yep. That's just not enough. Yep. Keep wearing masks. Wash your hands. Try not to touch anybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, man, we we it's it's not a joke. It it does suck. Like it's a weird experience to not be able to smell anything and your uh nose not being stuffed up. You know, Dude, I, bet. I can breathe fine but I don't smell anything. It just, you just feel cold. And, uh, there's a lot of like, I don't know. I've had a lot of, uh, like swelling in my head, tension in my head. It's causing like tension migraines, but yeah, it sucks, man. People, people don't be jacking around with the COVID. I, yeah. uh, right before I found out I, I got COVID, I found out that my grandmother tested positive and she was currently asymptomatic. And so I was like, Good God, COVID's going to get me right at the end of 2020, man. Right. Yeah, man. And uh, so people keep my grandma in your thoughts and prayers. Uh, Yeah, for sure. She's like 74. And oh, man. um, But that woman's resilient. You know, she might she might be okay. I hope she is. I've not got to hope so, too. I've not seen her all year. She lives in a nursing home. uh, Right. Almost 100 miles away from me. Yeah. So I, I go see her when I can, but I've not been allowed to see her all year. So it, Man, it's been yeah, that's rough. And shitty. And anyways, but that's what I've been up to for, you know, <laughs> the last week and a half or so. And fortunately, yeah. I've, uh, I, I, you know, I'm self-employed and I've managed to uh, keep my base is covered while all this is going on and right. the money rolling in, uh, carefully. That's good, man. So, um, yeah, I, I wanted to bring you on the podcast today because obviously, you know, just getting started, it's going to be easier to get friends on. Um, but at the same time, like you and I met, a long ass time ago through the local music scene in the Knoxville area and, you know, Facebook, you know, stuff like that. Uh, but, uh, just speak a little bit about, you know, where you were 
in like 2010, 2011, and, you know, kind of where you were spiritually, but also like what you were doing at that time? Well, yeah, man. Um, I would say, you know, 2010 to 2012, I was playing in a band uh, called Oracles. Right there at the end of 2010, I had started uh, a little like, I don't even know what to call it. We did, it was like punk country music, I guess. And right, yeah. um, it was, I, I, I definitely didn't listen to a lot of country music, but I was writing country uh, progressions and uh, my yeah. buddies, you know, I was playing in a band and that was a band where it was two of my like oldest friends, like longest, two of the friends I've had the longest. I lived with one of them and the other one was always over at the house and right. uh, we would just get hammered and, and play music. Uh, before I was in that band, we called that band Servant Advocate. And before I was in that, I was in a band called The Hero Remains, played bass yep. for them, uh, <clears throat> got the band, excuse me, uh, got the band signed. I was in the right place at the right time and yeah. uh, uh, an A&R for a record label, a little indie Christian music label popped up. And uh, I've done him some favors, booked some of his bands. Yeah. And uh, he gave us an invite to Cornerstone Festival. We went up there, played, got a contract. I think we signed the contract while we were at the festival. And That's crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I was out of the band two months later. Um, yeah. Um, I... I... <laughs> I, I know those dudes and I, of course you and I have talked about this and that's, it's, it's shitty, but at the same time, I'm not surprised that that's how that went down. Yeah. My time in a hero remains was really weird. I was in a band playing bass partying. I've been off and on a party guy since I was, I don't know, 16, 17, uh, I got into, you know, I became a Christian really young. I think I was like 13, 14. Right. I grow up in church and I got really serious about it there for a while. And then, you know, uh, I'd get my heart broken by a girl or something and fall, fall back into partying and uh, then, you know, get out and get serious about church for a while, then fall back mm -hmm. into partying, you know. I did that whole thing. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that was probably the outlier for us eventually getting into contact, you know, being doing promoting and booking, uh, yeah. connect with those, the people that do promoting and booking. I think you were doing that at the time. And, um, yeah. when I was in hero remains, I was very serious about my faith. Yeah. Um, I had a tendency, all the guys in the band tried to kind of take turns doing the ministry thing from stage. Uh, but I was the catalyst of it because I had kind of grown up in the charismatic, you know, Pentecostal style church things. I had learned very familiar. <laughs> yeah. I learned how to witness and how uh, that's, that's the term we call when we are trying to, 
convert people. We would witness. I learned how to witness um, through the charismatic movement. And it's really easy to do when you uh, learn that. And it fit me, uh, the, the charismatic movement fit me emotionally and um, personality wise because I was a, I was a kid that was just wrapped up in uh, my feelings a lot. I'm a really emotional guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, being a really emotional guy and then being as obsessed with like, um, music and art, like the art world growing up on MTV, that kind of stuff, watching music videos as a kid, wanting to become a rock star was a big deal, but I wanted to channel that into something that wasn't about sex and partying. It was about um being a rock star for jesus i wanted something i wanted something to believe in and i i I wanted to know what love was and i wanted to be a good loving person i wanted to be a hero to people so uh it was real easy to just adopt all the stuff good and bad from the pentecostal charismatic church and uh it worked in the band and the guys in the band were all about it. Cause when they had, you know, when they came to know my personality, they were like, this guy's, you know, doing the thing. And I joined that band. The only members that were left were the singer, the drummer and the guitar player, drummer and guitar player are twins. Yep. Um, the singer, the drummer and the guitar player, no bass player, no lead guitarist. And, uh, I came into the band, um, I was like, Hey, I got you a a lead guitar player, found him a lead guitar player. And then, uh, the, the singer quit, the lead vocalist quit. And then I was like, I think I can find us a vocalist. And I found us a vocalist. So it it was almost like seamless, like the transition, the lineup transition, just boom. The moment I was in the band, I had so many connections that I tied that up. Right. And then, uh, I was booking at a venue and where I live and, um it worked out really well man and we uh we signed that record deal and it was all downhill from there (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, go ahead uh no i was just saying you know knowing the the trajectory of what happened after that for that band it's they always had lineup issues. Oh and, yeah. And you and I know exactly why. Yeah. But you know, if you don't want to get into that, we don't have to. No, I mean because you and I know publicly <laughs> talked about it. I've never publicly talked about it. I will I, I'll say a few things on it. Um if any of the people from the old school are listening, you know, I will say a few things on it. Um I left the band because I was, I had some experiences with booking for the band that did not go well. Yeah. Um, I had a tour that essentially we were taking turns booking tours. Right. And uh, I had some tour connections fall through and that happened. And when that happened, the band, it was because I think we had maybe two or three days off in the tour. Uh, out of an, out of maybe like a week and yeah. uh, the guys some of the guys in the band were really upset with that 
and they said, okay, from now on, I'm going to solely concentrate on booking the, one of the other guys said, I'm going to book all the tours. Yep. If you want to book some like weekend warrior shows, some home shows, you can still do that. Well, another week goes by and then they tell me, don't even worry about booking those shows. Uh, another week goes by and they tell me to quit talking to people on our Facebook page, change the password to the Facebook page. The only guy that was allowed to have any online communication via the band, which at that day, in those days, it was MySpace. It was back in like 2008, 2009. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like, I didn't feel like part of the band anymore. I it's kind of like when you're working a job and they slowly start cutting your hours back and you're like, okay, I should probably just go ahead and start looking for another job. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it was a big expense. We were doing, we were playing out like every single weekend. So we would have a whole weekend booked Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. We would play every weekend. Um, and then we would tour like almost once a month and we do a week long tour once a month, I think somewhere around there. But, um, we were playing a lot of shows and we paid a lot of dues. Uh, all the guys in that band were asked to chip in $50 a week. And, uh, when you're playing all your weekends out and then you're booking a tour, like once a month, a week long tour, once a month, uh, what time is there to work? And some of the guys in the band had some really solid jobs that they could rely on no matter what a uh, few of, uh, the other guys in the band did not. Um, and there was a lot of pressure about keeping the gas tank full, keeping money for merch. Um, meanwhile, it always appeared that we did really well on tour right really confusing to me and some of the other guys because we're chipping in money all the time that $50 a week does not include money to chip in for recording money to chip in for merch so on and so forth um and uh yeah it was weird so it was like a lot of money pouring into the band uh i never took any money from the band Hold on a sec. I keep saying, if you need anything, go ask mom. And then, they <laughs> uh, but yeah, so a lot of money was pouring into the band. Uh, yeah. None of us ever got a payout from that band. Uh, it, it, it was, it just seemed fishy to me. And then um, at the point when I had been completely locked out of the Facebook or not Facebook, the, the MySpace, like, uh, I was trying to network. I was trying to book interviews and, uh, charity shows. I was trying to do a lot of stuff to get the band out there. Yeah. And, uh, I got locked out of the MySpace page and I was, that was kind of the point where I was like, yeah, I'm done with this. So I called, right. our, I called the A&R rep, um, told him everything that happened. Uh, 
the guys came to practice. They were practicing at my mom's house because I had, I was living there at the time. Um, I couldn't live anywhere else. I couldn't, I, I had a, I had a job at Arby's. It was the only job I could keep. Right. And, uh, you know, afford to chip $50 a month into, or not a month, $50 a week into this band. And then, I mean, try to pay my bills as much as I can phone bill, yeah. uh, keep gas in my personal car to, so I can get to work, stuff like that. Right. So we called everybody. They came to practice and I was like, yeah, I, I guys, I, I don't know what the deal is. I don't feel like I'm part of this. So I guess I'm done. Right. You know, if you guys aren't willing to, you know, let me connect with people through the band. Uh, I don't know if I want to be a part of this anymore. And they right. proceeded to tell everybody that I left because I was going to start a solo project and I was going to focus on that. That was a, a thing I was doing before I left the band and it was just a hobby thing. You know, I was writing, I, it was music I'd wrote a long time ago that I was going to start recording and that turned into serve an advocate, which was the weird country music punk, right. like punk country. And, um, eventually I got kind of bored with that, got back into playing hardcore metalcore music and, um, Started a band with some friends, fell apart real quick. I had wrote all the guitar for that band. So I took those tracks, recorded them. Uh, had a friend of mine play drums on them. Yeah. And after I had done all of that, found a new lineup, like an entirely new lineup. And we were doing the local thing. We did one tour for like a year and a half, two years. And that was Oracles and Oracles was kind of my, my baby, you know? And yeah, I remember I that the guitar. I wrote all the lyrics and I absolutely loved all the kids in the band. Um, the weird thing about Oracles was, and, and then I definitely was not aware, but now I'm very aware the transition into Oracles. I had a large community of, people locally where I live that were involved with coming to our practices and hanging out with us. It was because it was something beyond just us playing in this band. We were about trying to hang out and have community with the people that we were with. And, right. Um, you know, it was a Christian band and uh, it, I, at that point in time, we got connected and linked up with the church I did not realize it then, but looking back now, that church was totally, uh, it was a cult. It was a cult through it. And I was in that church for five years. I, Man. I, I was served as a deacon in that church. And, uh, the, the decisions that that band made, the, the band was partially funded by the church, um, which kind of put me in a, position where I felt like we owed the church something. So, you know, it was, it was a weird situation and, uh, I eventually left that. I didn't even leave, um, on a terms of like getting out because it was unhealthy. I left because, uh, I just felt like I was, there was nothing else I could do there. I, I kept hitting dead end roads. Yeah. Lots of, lots of promises that never 
followed through, you know? Right. Definitely familiar with that. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I, I remember Oracle's, uh, because I remember you guys were playing a lot of shows at that point in time that I would always see flyers come across Facebook and I'd see this band name and I'm like, Oracles, that's, that's a cool name for a band. And then I finally got the opportunity to actually, actually see you guys live um, when Ark of the Covenant and Onward to Olympus yeah. played at the Fallout Shelter. I think that's what the place was called. It, yeah, it was like an old warehouse, it was skate a, park. It was like thing. a factory. It was a factory that had been turned into a skate park Yeah, in Cookville. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's so it's so crazy because like there's a couple of guys from those bands. Well, a guy from each of those bands that I met that night and I still talk to on a semi-regular basis through like Facebook and stuff like that. Right. And, uh, you know, I was there as kind of like a tag along and slash, you know, you did roadie friend or whatever with east old topside and um i just remember like that show being so fun but i remember like walking into that place and thinking this is the most unassuming place (laughs) ever because i remember there were things about it that i saw and i was like this is a little sketch but I'm that not building, hating it. That building was uh, <laughs> really dilapidated, man. Yeah. Uh, that venue, it, it sucked what happened in that place. Um, the guy who was booking um, was such an awesome dude. I think, I think his name was Brandon. Um, and he, he, he had some connections with some bigger um, booking agencies and managers he was booking some fairly big shows out there, but that guy's sound guy kind of ran him into the ground. Like the, yeah. the rent for the building was high. Um, oh, I bet. The, the, um, the sound guy was charging per show and it, he was renting out. He was charging, I think rental and maybe oh even an hourly rate too. So like the dude didn't make any damn money. Like, right. Like, and we didn't, and, care. and if you're not making money, then, why are you, why, why would you keep doing it? Well, and that's what sucks, man. We'd keep doing it because it was so freaking fun. You know, it was so fun. We had so much fun. Got to connect with bands that we believed were making a difference in the world. Right. You know, I, whether these bands were um, Christian bands or not, they almost always had positive messages. They always oh, for sure. were trying to encourage people um, to uh, to be strong and to grow and to learn and to listen, you know. And uh, I, I've been there, dude. I lost a lot of money yeah. out of pocket. And I think almost probably anybody who's done booking or promotion probably has. <laughs> But it was, it was, uh, it was a fun place. I think the place like partially burned down. Oh man. Um, 
it's past awful. years past year i mean it wasn't i don't even think it was a venue at the time i think it was just right but that was the thing it's an old factory like squatters would come in there and hobos were uh, oil drum fires and who knows <laughs> yeah, right probably some satanic sacrifices or something i don't know party on <laughs> but um yeah it's you know booking is <clears throat> it's it's a catch 22 sometimes mm-hmm. because you do it because you love being able to put shows together and stuff like that. But then at the same time, sometimes you as the booker get burned because I remember, uh, like I literally only booked maybe three or four shows. And I remember one of the first ones I booked, it was a new year's Eve show. Which, at the time, because of the venue that I chose, I thought it was a solid idea. I was like, the place is going to get packed out because it was at Long Branch Saloon, which I don't know. I don't remember if you're you know, familiar with that. but Oh, yeah. We played there. We played there oh, on yeah. a uh, tour one time with Oracle. Yeah. Dude. Long Branch is so crazy, but I loved it for sure. It, it was just, it's yeah, like a crazy dirty bar. But uh, Long Branch was think, another catch twenty two. Yeah, I don't think Long Branch is even around anymore. It's it? not. It's like yeah. some kind of frat bar now, which is stupid. But yeah, uh, I I got a hold of the guys at Long Branch and I was like, hey, I've got these two touring bands from Texas coming in, um can we do a new year's Eve show? They were like, yeah, that's, that sounds great. So, uh, I promote the hell out of the show. You know, the local bands that I got promoted the hell out of the show. One of them ended up having to drop out like a couple days before the show, which, you know, that happens. I wasn't able to find a replacement on such short notice, but, you know, the show must go on. So me being naive, I tell these bands that are coming in from Texas, like, you know, I don't have any money like in pocket at the moment to pay your guarantee. I said, but I can guarantee you that if we do a door split, you guys will get your guarantee. (laughs) biggest mistake I've (laughs) ever made. There were maybe five paying uh, guests. Right. I guess you'd call them spectators, whatever. Yeah. And then everybody else was either band members or Mm -hmm. staff. Yeah, the the that ratio is always a pain. You'd be like, yeah, bands bands would come in and they're like, man, there's like 50 people here, and it's like, it's just the bands and all the people you brought. Exactly. You know, like, like, I remember, hard. yeah, and and I felt, 
I felt so like shitty and so defeated afterwards because I had to tell these guys, I was like, listen, I don't, I don't have any money to give you guys. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not going to lie. Like they were obviously very upset. Yeah. Um, but like they were, they told me, they were like, you know what? It's fine. You know, we've, we've got enough to get us to our next date. Um, just don't make the same mistake again. And I never booked another touring package right again. Um, but I definitely burned a couple of bridges there, mm-hmm. you know, before they left, they made it seem like we were cool and everything, but I never heard from any of those guys ever again. Oh, and yeah. you know, that, I, I don't blame them. If, like, if I was in their spot, I probably would have done the same thing. I would have been pissed and I would have been like, yeah, man, you're good. But never talk to the the guy again um no yeah so that's the tip i I stuck to just local bands after that right and man and that's the thing you could have good shows i i would like i always try to explain that to people uh you could have great local shows like in fact if you only booked local bands it was almost like certain to be better off than going and booking a touring guarantee on a show yeah. because um, the local bands that will play a local show with no touring band there, uh, those bands are probably the best bands to book (laughs) Yeah, because they're serious about coming and playing the show. They're there. They are there because they want to have fun and they want to play shows and they don't crap if it's getting them anything out of it. Um, they just want to play shows and have fun. Uh, but a lot of people didn't want to book, uh, you know, shows without some touring band because you, it, have, yeah, exactly. You know, the, I, the novelty of having a touring band come and play was the big deal. Like, Oh, this band, they're on a, they're on a label and they're from, you know, that was the big thing. Uh, and man, it, it could be way worse off. I've heard so many For stories. Sure. Even stories from bands that I've booked before where like um, one of the stories, and I'm sure it's highly exaggerated, was uh, there was a Christian metalcore band that played at the venue that I used to book for. And I kind of like things kept getting worse and worse at that venue. So I just kind of quit booking at the venue. I, I, you know, I realized I was like, this isn't working out well. This lady won't pay bands. Um, she's saying they'll have their guarantees and then she's not paying them. But one time a band played there and, um, they were a fairly big band. I'm not going to say their name. Uh, right. and like I said, this might be pretty exaggerated, but they had like a 300, maybe a $500 guarantee. Yeah. And, uh, after the show, he's like, she had like left the venue and then come back or something. And, uh, they had like called her. It was really weird story. They were hanging out with her, this lady's son. Yeah. And they called her. They apparently, he like, they piled up in the band's van with this lady's son and was like, where are you at? We need our money. 
And then she's like, I don't have it. And they're like, well, you better figure it out. We've got yeah. your son in the van. <laughs> and so, you know, the, that story turned into, I don't know all the details, but that story went from um, him hanging out with the band to mm -hmm. uh, the band kidnapping him really quick. <laughs> and then, yeah. I, you know, I booked... I booked uh, Too Pure to Die one time. Yeah. And they were on, uh, what label were they on? They were a big, fairly big band. I can't even, I can't even. Remember. Yeah, they were so heavy, dude. Um, They were a big band. I mean, and uh, dude, they had a big contract. There was a big tour yeah. that came through. There was Oceano and Catalepsy. And uh, like, I had worked with their booking agent. The booking agent was a really good guy, super professional. He booked for a lot of really big bands. Right. And uh, we had worked out all the details of this guarantee. It was a very high, it was probably one of the highest um, touring packages I booked. I had to provide uh, a food buyouts, I think like $650 in guarantees. Yeah. And, uh, and food. And then when the band gets there, they're like, uh, he talked to you about backhand too. Right. And I'm like, no, I've never even actually heard that term before. And it's right. like, oh, well that means like after the guarantee is collected from the door, uh, we get so much percent off of every body past that mark. And I'm like, no, oh I God. never talked to anybody about I think he wanted like he was trying to talk me into like and the dudes from Too Pure to Die are big fucking dudes. They're big guys. Yeah. They're bodybuilders. They tour with a freaking bench press in their uh trailer, you know. They're pumping iron on the side of the stage, totally like <laughs> straight edge, like yeah, four guys. And I mean, these are big dudes. I'm a small guy and uh I was like, yeah, I didn't talk to anybody about backhand. I will call your booking agent and discuss this with him, but I'm not going to promise you backhand. And, and I called him and the booking agent's like, man, don't worry too much about it. If you can do it, fine. Don't worry about it if you can't. And so it, that was all chill. But I mean, I've heard stories about that band, like Too Pure to Die, beating booking agents up. That's you know, insane. like really yeah. crazy stories about not getting paid their guarantee and fighting with people that's yeah that's that's crazy yeah but i you know i never i every band that i was in uh, a hero after a hero remains a hero remains yeah. was <laughs> they always had like we did guarantees we we asked for small guarantees yeah um, but we always kind of killed it in merch and that was that was what we were kind of relying on to bring in uh, money for that band. Well, that and then uh, the members, some of the members, I'm not sure if all of them did, but the members chipping in dues like every week just didn't. The numbers didn't seem to add up. And, you know, after I did that, I was like, you know, I have been on quite a few tours, the shows where I tell people not to worry about it. Uh, uh, but you know, if you can cover at least gas money or I say whatever you can give almost every time I did that, 
we ended up with more money than when I asked for guarantees. Right. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just, man, like there was, there were so many times where I would get dudes from touring bands messaging me saying like, Hey, you know, we heard that you're one of the dudes to talk to in the Knoxville area about getting a show. And I'm like, thinking to myself, I've only booked a handful of shows. Oh yeah, man. Word of mouth. Like, I don't know who's telling you I'm the dude. Cause there's so many other dudes that are booking huge shows that have much more experience than me. Yeah. But like that, that stuff started happening after that snafu with those touring bands from Texas. And I was like, do I want to try this again or no? And it was always no, because at that point in time, me and jobs, we were just not always meshing. Mm -hmm. So like I would go, for months without a job sometimes and just scraping to get by. Yeah. Um, so I didn't take on any touring bands for that reason alone, because after that situation, if I didn't have a few hundred dollars to give to a band or a couple bands, I wasn't going to touch it (laughs) because at that point in time, the climate of shows in that area was so like unpredictable. Right. You might have, you know, a show with two of the most popular bands in Knoxville and have a packed out show. Mm -hmm. But then like the next week you might have five really grade a top notch local bands and it'd be like half capacity or maybe not even. Yeah. And it's like, that's it's, it it was so hit or miss that I was like, I'm not going to roll the dice on any touring bands. So like I said, I just booked local bands and I booked at venues that were, sort of lenient on the the you know door split policies right no oh, yeah because I, at the end of the night i wanted to make sure that the local bands got paid for coming to the show and performing mm-hmm. and so if that meant i didn't pocket a dollar and all the bands and the venue got all the money that was cool with me. Right. No, I hear you, man. That was, that was the way I always was. And, uh, you know, th- most of my booking I did outside of working with venues, you know, like I did almost everything I did DIY, do it yourself, renting out yep. rec, like I'd rent out rec halls and yeah. like make Those... systems. And dude, it was always dude. a lot of fun. Rec center shows were always so fun. Mm-hmm. 
Oh uh, yeah. There's I've I've always said this. There is nothing more exciting than a floor show. Oh yeah. I've always man and and we got so used to that. Like a lot of the bands that uh from the area that I live in, we got so used to doing floor shows. Like if we played at venues with big stages, a lot of bands would not play on the stage. They'd be like, no, nah, we're going to set up on the floor. Yeah. You know? And it, it was like, it would always bother a lot of the venues and stuff because it's right. You know, they're, they're like, like we there. built this stage, use it. <laughs> And it's like, no, nah, that's not fun. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, why would I be up on a big stage if there's only like 20, 30 people here? You exactly. Wanna, you want to be close to the people. You want to have a good time. Um, and, uh, but, you know, the, the Christian venue thing was always weird. And it was kind of like, there was kind of like a hustle to it. I didn't even really realize it being in all of that but like there were times where hero remains got paid really good and when we played at churches and christian venues it i think there might have been some times where you know we got paid because we preached more you know or we got paid better because um when we preached we did like this whole like we played like pretty praise and worship church <laughs> in the background and yeah. we lift it to crescendo and people would come <laughs> up and they'd cry and we'd pray with them and you know we always did all this stuff have a um, whole invocation yeah we do a, the invocation and then we we like made the invocation we would carve our set out to where we were like okay well we need to leave instead of playing a 30 minute set just song back to back to back Right. Uh, let's build that invocation in our 30 minute set time. And that way we're not breaking into the next band's setup. Yeah. It was very, everything was very methodical about respecting the venue, respecting the promoters and respect, yep. respecting the other bands, um, which was really great when I was in a hero man remains, but yeah. Um, you know, that doesn't include all the shit talk that happened in the van yeah. after the fact. And there were times in that band where like, I felt so out of place that I literally would, we would stay at people's houses and I would sleep in the van by myself. Yeah. Because I just, and I'd weep because I felt like what I was doing when I was in that band was um i felt guilty because i felt like i had to preach jesus and this was the best platform for me to do that right but there were so many questionable things and it wasn't like they were doing drugs or having sex it was like shit talking other bands uh, yeah always wanting money like from the guys in the band um but we never knew how much money, like it was like, well, where'd all the merch money go? Right. You know? And it was, uh, it was iffy man. And, um, yeah, I left the band and I was supposed, my last show was supposed to be, I can't remember the name of the festival. It was supposed to be, um, 
this festival that happened in Cleveland, Tennessee, Chattanooga area. And dude, that festival was off the chain. I went anyway. I was, it was supposed to be my last show. The guys would not let me play that last show. And okay, yeah, I, I remember you telling me about yeah, that. At I one went point. to it. I went to it because like all my freaking favorite bands were playing. Sleeping Giant was playing. Yeah. Advent. Um, was that at the warehouse? It was. It was a festival. It was like an all-day outdoor festival that okay uh, AC from the warehouse had booked. Um, right. Advent okay. Was there. O Sleeper played. Um in the midst of lions, all these big Christian bands played. And I was like, guys, I think it's time for me to leave. I tried to leave as politely as possible. Yeah. Cause I was, I was hurt by all of it because I felt like I just didn't have any ownership of the band. Right. And, uh, I wanted to play that show with them. And I was like, I'll make that my last show. And they told me, nah, we've already got somebody to, f- to fill in. And that, that guy was a friend. He was actually the merch guy of the band at the time. Um, right. I like him. He's a great dude. Uh, I'll even, I think he's in a band called the guild now and his name's Eric. Um, yeah, I, awesome I know guy. Eric. Yeah. But okay. So here's something that was always iffy to me about the hero remains. It was all about Christian, Christian testimony, testimony, Christian, Christian yep. testimony. Right. I think I know where you're going. And, it was not only that about the band, it was that on our label, like that label yeah. was very adamant about us ministering to people and about the guys in the bands being Christians and all this yeah. stuff. We were going to be, we were going to walk our talk. And, uh, Eric was like super atheist at the time. Like he did not yeah. give a shit about any of the Christian stuff and that's well and good, but that band presented itself no matter what was going on, that band had its image as that band, you know, yeah. as, as a Christian ministry minded band. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. They had Eric play at that show instead of me. It was sad. I was, there were some times when I was in that band and I was disappointed because I almost got to play yeah. with some of my favorite bands of all time. Yeah. And that, that would definitely, um, that would definitely piss me off if that was a situation I was in. Yeah. I um, mean, this is the first time I've ever really talked about it. Since, right. Since what? 2009. Like I, and I didn't, yeah. talk, I didn't tell anybody about it. I let the band present how, me leaving the way they wanted to. Yeah. And I didn't say a word except if somebody came to me asking questions. Right. And I never publicly bashed. I'm not public sh- publicly bashing now. We do. No. People do stupid stuff for stupid reasons. I was in a cult for yeah. five years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. I mean. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. I. Yeah. I. I've seen. That band go through. So much. Um, Because. I. I remembered hearing about a hero remains for years before I ever actually went and saw them play. And the first time I actually went to one of the shows was after you had left 
and this was probably in 2011 when their theory of avarice mm -hmm. album EP. released yeah um and they played this little uh this little like church venue in alcoa it was Sometimes it was called the Remedy. Sometimes it was called the 2540. <laughs> but it was in Alcoa and um, small venue. Uh, but super, super fun, like, atmosphere and shit like that. But at that point, it was Eric, the brothers... And Tyler Miller on guitar, who is actually the vocalist of that other band, The Guild, okay. that Eric's in now. Now, was Tyler Whalen doing vocals at this time? No. Um, they had recorded that whole album with a guy named Derek Bass on vocals. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And yeah. he was the vocalist at that time um, up until sometime in 2012 yeah. like this was in 2011 and i think he was the vocalist up until 2012 when some stuff went down and it's always i've i've heard people say that he left the band on his own recognizance but then i've also heard other people say that he was kicked out of the band well, or that was, voted yeah. out of the band. Yeah. Whatever you want to call it. My story of leaving the band was uh, <clears throat> probably the least controversial. Well, me yeah. and the other guy, the guy who played guitar before Tyler, um, it was, it was weird, man. Cause I left and then like, I was staying in contact with the other members besides the twins and yeah. uh then the guys that i brought in like th i think it was like three to six months went by and another guy was out and swapped yeah. out. and then another three to six months went by and another guy was stopped swapped out and then another three to six months get went by <laughs> and, you know and eventually like it's just a revolving there's door. only one common denominator in that band and yeah uh, more power to them uh you know I mean, it's all long gone now anyway, but, right. um, yeah, I, I wasn't gonna, I'm not going to say it was a walk in the park and that there wasn't right. anybody at fault. There was a lot of negative shit going on. Yeah. Um, and, and I think there's, there are enough people out there who have similar experiences within that band Yeah, that would back that up. Yeah. Even if they were not there with you at that time. <laughs> just from their experiences yeah. they would probably be like yeah he's not full of shit <laughs> right and, well uh, there's a lot of ba dudes and bands that are that are immature fucking dudes you know absolutely I, I, was, I was an immature guy we were all immature we all yeah. did dumb stuff we said bad stuff about things that we shouldn't have said um and the on honestly a lot of those people the the people that got the shit talked about them all the time probably <laughs> did not know it yeah like they were people that were treated like the best of friends 
Exactly. And that was the thing I always had a hard time with. I was like, we, you're talking shit about these other bands, but these guys are the guys that hook us up with shows all the time. These yeah. are the guys that have uh, encouraged and supported us. They watch our set. You Go know, above and beyond, too. We play shows with them and they watch us. Okay. Yeah. That was kind and of that's a thing rare. Where you find out who your friends are by who yeah. watches the band. Right. And that yeah. was always a big priority for me. I was like, eh, you know, we watch, we stay around and we watch all the bands because we want to show everybody in this community we support, we care. Exactly. Meanwhile, we're going to talk shit in the van. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. But, you know, eventually I hung my hat up. Um, when I was in Oracle's, I had just met my wife. Yeah. And, and my wife is from Canada. And so that's a big process. Having her immigrate here was a really big process. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, you know, Oracle's lasted about a year or two. And then uh, it got all got put on hold because all the guys in the band left because I acted like a child. And, yeah. uh, you know, and that right there is a perfect example. <clears throat> common denominator in a hero remains i did the same shit to the band i was in after that yeah um, and i didn't you know i didn't ever mean to the guys right. yeah that did wrong they probably didn't mean to but hindsight is 2020 yeah and so i you know by the toward the end of oracles like not only did oracles end my booking and promoting ended because there were other local bands booking all the time. And I yeah. had a thing where I was like, I really didn't want to book a show where I had guarantees coming out. If there yeah. were going to be three or four shows that were all done that same. in the same small town. Yeah. The, you know, that month, like there was shows going on every weekend and I know people aren't going to show up, you know, so I would only book like one show a month. I was like, if right. there's a bunch of other shows booked and I would always talk to the other people locally who are booking, no disrespect to any of them represent nine, three, one, but <laughs> you know, um, there were a lot of people booking shows and I, I yeah. didn't want, I didn't want to pull people away from their shows. I didn't want my shows to have bad crowds. So I quit booking and, right. you know, uh, I book shows, but you know, once you have, a family and you're trying to get your life together you can't be throwing out a bunch of money out of pocket exactly so, yeah so i i kind of grew out of that and uh, uh now i've got the family and the kids and all that stuff man so now that we've kind of gone over a <laughs> little bit of the uh history what is elias dan doing now well, dude, I'm doing, I'm doing a lot. I, I, you know, um, for, like I said, when I was in Oracles, I was in that cult and, uh, didn't yeah. realize it was a cult. I left that church, went to a new church. I was there for, uh, three years and, um, I did some work in, uh, in, um, I was, I worked as a contractor at, a, um, for DCS at a boy's home for uh yeah. justice as well as kids that were awarded the state which that was really tough man um 
worked in a group home for kids that were unwanted or um just getting into trouble man it 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 really sucked um to see them hurting families that were you know eat up by meth and and doing tons of drugs uh i did that for two years and it was a wonderful i loved the kids but i hated the establishment uh there were a lot of loopholes you had to jump through and there was a lot of people just not doing their jobs and uh you know it's always a hairy situation when you're dealing with nonprofit organizations period for sure it's really easy for conflicts of interest to jump in and Oh, I did that. I did that. Um, and it's led me, you know, when I transitioned out of the cult into this new church, it was right at the same transition of me being in that job. I transitioned out of that job just because I could not, it was like it, you know, it demanded my life. I would work, um, bare minimum 35 hours a week, bare minimum. Uh, and it would turn into third shift. You'd work third shift. You'd come out of third shift. You'd come home, you'd go to sleep, and then you would get up for a second shift. And so like, I'd come home, sleep for four or five hours, get up, go to work, come back home, sleep. And then, uh, you know, they were intersecting all the shifts, you know? Yeah. And then shifts on weekends were 12 hours. You know, and so, yeah, I, I remember working like 50, 60 hours a week sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, my son was born at that time, my first son. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I just wanted to spend time with my family and I transitioned out of that. I got, I was at a new church. I got a job with the pastor of the church painting and uh, yeah. I learned residential and commercial painting. And, uh, about two years after that, I started my own business and, uh, started awesome. a business. Uh, I still play music on the side. I was playing in church, but you know, about a year to two years being into that church, I mm-hmm. started, um, kind of questioning a lot of the stuff that was going on in my life. Yeah. Questioning what I believed. I came to that realization of, oh man, the past five years, I've been in a cult. This is a cult. Yeah. I was being manipulated and uh, lied to. Other people were being manipulated and lied to. They would promise the world and then everything would fall through. And then somehow all that stuff falling through would be your fault. It's like, hey, I'm going to do this for you. And then, hey, why didn't this happen? You didn't do this. And I'm like, you yeah. told me not to do that. You told me to wait on you. And uh, so I waited on you and then it fell through when I waited on you. Right. You know? And that happened time and time again um, in that church. And it really led me those kinds of things happening and looking back at my own past and realizing I was in a cult and that I was uh, putting my family through the torment of being a cult. It made me ask a lot of questions about the evangelical church. And yeah. I, I questioned my faith. Um, my faith changed radically over the span of like two years now. It's literally been like almost right at two years um, that I've been uh, kind of deconstructing and reconstructing my faith. Right. Uh, 
I, you know, I stopped going to church this year. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's the first year I've not gone to church at all. And, uh, right. it was, it was an interesting experience, you know, uh, COVID has done a lot and partially, yeah. you know, uh, the, the, before COVID hit, me and my wife were saying, man, maybe we need to take a break from church. And then right. hit and we stopped going. And, uh, yeah, it's like, well, maybe that's a sign. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> you know, and the few times I'd went to church before and no disrespect to the people at the church I was going to, it's a great church. They're doing awesome things in the community. Um, it was sure as heck beat being in a cult. Uh, right. But I think anything does. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, we, the last few times we went, I came to the conclusion. I was like, all these people are great, but all these people are serving this mechanism. And the, that mechanism serving the God we claim to believe in, that's kind of questionable, you know, yeah. like, there's all of like the institution of church. Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes by the wayside to build, protect, and continue that institution. Right. And so people become less important and people start turning into numbers. And yes. uh, I just wasn't sure about it. I, I, I saw people um, trained to be prideful and I saw people trained to be selfish and I saw people tokenized. I, I, you know, the, um, I saw people scapegoated. These are things yeah. that I don't think are meant to operate in the people who claim Christianity. And so I said, you know, I, I'm going to step back from the institution. I still believe in Jesus. Um, but when I did that, I was able to say, oh, I can be a Christian and decide what I believe and I can interpret the Bible, um, according to my way of interpreting it. Right. I do not have to follow what this one specific denomination or this one specific teacher <coughs> tells me. And, yeah. uh, I encourage everybody to do that. Make your faith your own because yeah, for sure. if it is just regurgitated, uh, rules from a preacher that's not your faith no that's Uh, that's his faith being pushed on to you yeah yeah and you know i i've always kind of questioned the idea of uh praying for salvation like i've there's always been something that kind of didn't settle right with me with um i i got saved quote unquote as a kid at like uh 11 or 12 I got scared. Yeah. I got scared into salvation, you know, hellfire Dude. and stone. And Dude, I, me came, too. I came and I'm crying because I'm afraid and I don't want to go to hell. I yeah. was actually the, the preacher of this bad Southern Baptist church pointed at me and told me to come up because he saw the tears in my eyes, you know, because yeah. I'm scared of hell. 11. And then at that point you're like, okay, well I gotta, gotta go up there now. Yeah. And I'm crying. And then uh, a person, one of the few people I knew at this church came up and they said, just pray, repeat after me. 
and I repeated a prayer and I felt good for a couple of days and then I didn't think about it again. Yeah. Um, and that's how it happens. Yeah. And are when you you're that are, young? Yeah. Are you putting your faith in Jesus? Or are you putting your faith in a prayer? Exactly. Um, because that shit never made sense to me. Yeah. Like, so I, like we recite these prayers, like they're magic words. And once yeah. you recite this magic prayer incantation, <laughs> you can never go to hell. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, cool. Okay. So now I just got to get other people to recite the incantation and never, and I never felt comfortable about it because when I read the gospels, something that stuck out in the gospels to me as a 14 year old kid, because once I got scared into salvation, but then I chased a girl to a church once. And then yeah. I found something really meaningful there. And it was the stuff inside the Bible. And it was the first time I ever really read the Bible. And I read in the gospels, Jesus said, call no man teacher. The Holy spirit is your teacher and call no man father for God is your father. And yeah. so Jesus made a really strict de declaration on how mm -hmm. to view authority. Yeah. And there's, there's this higher authority that you value over the, the people that are um, teaching, teaching you and fathering you. There is a higher authority than them. Yeah. And so, you know, I've always clashed with authority. I grew up without, you know, Dude, uh, a, a bad, a, a bad family situation and dysfunctional family. And yeah, my dad I mean, around and, you know, I, I grew up with a pretty solid family situation, but I've just always been one of those buck the system kind of people. I mean, when I was in elementary school, mm -hmm. I would always get in trouble for talking back to the teachers, yeah. middle school, same thing. Yeah. High school. <laughs> did you same have, thing. Did you have the ADHD? Yes. Well, yeah. not ADHD, but ADD. Yeah. I was um, the ADHD. Yeah. I was taking yeah. I was taking Ritalin at like five, man. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> they put they put me on Ritalin at like seven. My mom took me off of it when I was like twelve because I had started taking it so regularly. Mm -hmm that it wasn't really working anymore. And if anything, it was actually making me sick to my stomach a lot. Yeah. So my mom was like, we're going to take him off of this. And at that time, I think they were starting to kind of roll out like Adderall and shit like that. Mm -hmm. And my doctor, pediatrician, whatever, was, I think he had suggested Adderall mm -hmm. as an alternative, but I think my mom had heard some things about, right. you know, some of the side effects and stuff like that. And she was like, no, we're not, we're not doing that. So she took me off all medication and I still struggled in school. Yeah. And like, I still had major problems like staying on task and keeping my attention focused on one thing at the, at, at one time. Right. But 
I think coming off of that medication was one of the best things that she ever did mm-hmm. because like I said, you know, I still had attitude problems and still had, you know, problems with authority and shit like that, but my mind felt normal. Like when I was on that medication, I I just felt like a zombie sometimes. Does that yeah. make sense? No, no, I totally I totally hear you, dude. That's just about everybody, you know. Yeah. Um and you know even when I was taking meds, uh, it helped. I would actually do the schoolwork, but I still missed recess. I still, you know, um, was in study hall, you know, I, yeah, I, I I still struggled the whole time I was on meds. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that's always been the frustrating thing to me is, we've just like American culture has decided to met like in the nineties decided to medicate our children and to to try to get them to do this, um, school, uh, this institution of school in a very cut and dry way. I mean, yeah. And, uh, we were, you know, were, did you ever hear the, you can be anything you want to be when you grow up? Dude, yeah. Yeah, you we were filled with a lot of fluff. Like yeah. a lot of philosophical ideological fluff as children. But yeah. we were told to be we were uh forced to into these structures that are so polar opposite of that fluff. Yes. Like, I'm not anti you uh you know follow your dreams. I'm not I'm not against that. But if you're going to teach kids to follow their dreams, um, don't put them into sc- a school situation where, you know, it's gonna, they're going to be, uh, treated like shit when they tell yeah. people what their dreams are. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like if you got a kid that wants to grow up to be a rock star, mm-hmm. don't send them to a school where if, if, if someone says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they say, I want to be a rock star. That teacher says, oh, that's not a real job. You can't make a living doing that. Yeah. Like, in a way, for some situations, that's not a far-fetched opinion. Yeah. But at the same time, there are a lot of people out there in the music industry that are making stupid money. And it's, it's, it's not from royalties. You and I both know that, but touring, um, merch sales, stuff like that. That's where the money comes in. Well, and not just that there's, there's so many other ways to make money in the music. Right. Um, and we were never taught that, you know, music classes in schools were kind of bullshit i now and i can't Big time really talk i can't really talk too much shit about that because i after fourth grade i was homeschooled right so um you know i didn't really learn anything about music until i was 13 and yeah that became all i was about 
right. but I don't, I can't remember anything from grade school about music other than getting past, uh, uh, you know, the, the sandpaper blocks and Morocco yeah. and just doing that or learning I, the, assembly the recorder. Yeah. Like hot cross buns. Yeah. But that's not like, when are they going to revamp, uh, music in schools? And, and that's what I'd know, like to know. Marching band and stuff like that. It may have been a different story for me if I would have been involved with that kind of stuff, but right. Yeah. There's other things that people like <clears throat> I, I one time a kid did a project on me one time mm -hmm. uh, for his uh, guitar classes at his high school. Yeah. And I got to come in and do like he had to do a presentation and I got to come yeah. in and perform at his uh, guitar class at the high school. And I watched I was there the whole time and I watched these kids half-assed their way through guitar class right and nobody i mean like all the kids half-assed it but the, the teacher you know did not really there's other shit you need to learn in uh music class other than about fucking led zeppelin you know <laughs> yeah. they're teaching like okay you're gonna teach us about you have to make it appeal to the kids. Like I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I've given guitar lessons and my number one priority in giving guitar lessons is making the kids feel like they are accomplishing things and right. teaching them what they want to learn. Because exactly. I cannot grab them in the first week of classes, first month of classes. It's probably not going to stick. Yeah. And so if you're putting a kid into an obligatory situation with music and you don't encourage them with, uh, to, to dig in and right. not only that, but teach them all the other stuff that comes with music. Like if you're going to teach kids music, I think you, the kids need to learn music business as well. Like I don't For understand sure. why business is not a big thing in like teaching uh, you know, in high school, like there need to be. Yeah. That's always something that I, I always wondered is like, why do they have to wait until they go to college to learn about business? Because they want to in debt people. Exactly. Um, that's, that's what it is when it comes right down to they're, they're, it's all been monopolized, but you know, it, and that was the thing I, I, I had zero, um, business experience I, I, yeah. I had I did not know how to run my own business um, and man thank God for YouTube yes um, and, and, and I've learned so much from YouTube videos it's stupid yeah think about what it was like to live in a world without YouTube or without Google you know we Dude. There would be so many people in our age bracket that would be completely lost. Yeah. Um, and a lot of, I find a lot of the millennials that <clears throat> I meet, like uh, kids that are substantially younger than I am, um, they have skill sets far beyond 
what I could imagine. I'm meeting kids right. that are 10 years younger <clears throat> than me who are already learning how to invest in the stock market, who are yeah. uh, learning trades. They're learning niche trades. They're learning all right. this stuff and they're learning how to be successful. Uh, and they're still going to college. Yeah. But they have 10 different side hustles to pay right. for their life situation to get through college. Yeah. Uh, you to know? get a degree that they may or may not ever use. Yeah. And that's terrifying to me. And, and to hold, have a debt. Um, part of me wishes I would have went to college and part of me is glad I didn't. Um, yeah. But, and, and I encourage anyone and everyone to go to college, like go, go to college. Oh, yeah. Get a yeah. four, get, go get a four year degree, but don't go to a big college and spend 10, 20 grand or more. And please don't go to a small college and spend that yeah. money. Yeah. Go if you're spending college. that much money at a small college, yeah, you're, you're getting raped. Yeah. Go find an accredited school that will take a little amount of money and, you know, a community college or something and yeah. do well and get a degree and then go hustle and go find something great. But man, just, I, I hate seeing kids in debt. I hate a lot of it. And I, you, yeah. at the same time, you know, there was so much I missed out on because I just like college wasn't even in my brain, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm learning stuff about philosophy now. I wish I would have had something like college because I would have probably taken world religion in college um, at 22 and, uh, or, you know, or audio engineering at that age. Yeah. And now would have be in the field I want to be in. Whereas now I'm just now trying to scratch that surface, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, to to go back a little bit um i think it's i think it's as far as like music classes and stuff man i you know you you talk about like teaching them what they want to learn and i'm not an instrumentalist at all i didn't you know i've tried to dabble in like bass and stuff like that. Um, but like if I was a guitar instructor or, you know, whatever instrument it may be, and I was doing it, you know, as like a side hustle and was taking on a student here and there, instead of having my own like structure of, I'm going to teach this kid these five songs. Mm-hmm. I would I would probably have like two or three songs chosen and then I'd ask the kid like give me two songs that you want to learn. I will learn it if I don't already know it. Right. And then I'll help you learn it. Oh yeah. That's always because, my question, man. Is what kind of yeah. music you listen to? Yeah, because what they tell you may surprise you. Mm-hmm they may tell you I want to learn Led Zeppelin or they may tell you I want to learn something by Carlos Santana. But at the same time, they may come in and be like, 
I want to learn some chug chug bree bree shit. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to learn some some you know uh, through the eyes of the dead Whitechapel or right. something like that, and that's where you know you can have a little bit of fun if that's your background. Mm-hmm. So you know that's that's just something that I've always thought about, like because you always hear about these kids taking guitar lessons or whatever, but I've, I've talked to so many people that said like when they were taking guitar lessons as a kid, they were learning songs that they really didn't care about. Yeah. So it didn't really hit the same as if they were learning one of their favorite songs that they listen to all the time. Yeah. No, totally, man. Like, and that's the thing. Like every everybody gets like a super cheap acoustic. Starting yeah. at, like their parents buy them the cheapest acoustic or electric guitar possible. And it's, yeah, that that it's that not, Walmart first act. Yeah, it's not fun to learn on. It's not. Uh, it like it it won't sound good even if the guitar yeah. player is good. And yeah, that, that in itself can be, you know a death sentence to for sure somebody learning something like if you give yeah. if you give them really cruddy materials um and it, the guitar is not any it, it's not that easy of an instrument to learn so right the more that you put in front of it like the more you make it more difficult it's yeah it's just going to be a miserable experience uh I, I was lucky because um my stepdad was a guitarist Right. And although he would attempt to teach me at times and it would go terribly because he was just an angry <laughs> dude. Um, yeah. But he bought me a good guitar starting out. And and that's having, good. Man. Having a good guitar starting out was a big part of it. And um, absolutely. But, uh, and that's the thing. A lot of kids, it's like they want to play heavy metal and they get a cheap little acoustic guitar as their first guitar. And that's like, yeah. Or uh, they want to play acoustic country music and their parents buy them a freaking, uh, you know, metal guitar. And, yeah, you know, it, it, you get the get the Schechter Diamond series when all you really want to do is play some George Strait. Yeah. That's like, why can't I get <laughs> twang out of this? I want. <laughs> but, yes. um, you know, it, it's crazy, dude. And, um. <laughs> I'm, you know, I've, I've done, I've played in just about every genre of music you can play in. Yeah. Not well, I've not played well, Um, but I've played (laughs) in every style you can imagine. I've been in psychobilly bands. I've played contemporary Christian worship. Um, There's. I always try to tell people never limit yourself to any one thing like absolutely be willing to try everything and it will make you a better musician and it'll make you a better artist. And so, you know, now I'm just, I'm trying to make music in my spare time and having a lot of fun with it. I'm doing music with my wife. I've got a new music project with my wife called so smug. Yeah, um, I've I've checked out some of that stuff, man. It's oh, really good. 
Right on. Yeah. So I've got so smug and we're on Spotify and all the other stuff, Apple, iTunes. Yeah. You know, it's, it's on all there, but we've not put a whole lot out. I, right now we're mainly doing like cover songs and kind of recreating them. Right. Um, and that's a lot of fun. And, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. I I'm breaking into the genres that I never really pushed into. Um, right. Yeah. Because I limited myself. I was like, I, I can only play metal because that's what I've learned. Right. You know? uh, learn everything. Uh, and, yeah, for sure. And you have access to learn everything because YouTube is there. You know, yeah, YouTube I, is such a. It's it's such a wealth of knowledge. Yeah. And so much of it is untapped. Oh, yeah. There's there's so much out there that people don't even realize. Yeah. I've, you know, starting my paint business, I had zero experience in starting a business. And uh, I everything I learned was from YouTube and from my former bosses in the painting business. And uh, yeah, dude, I I haven't missed a beat. I I had in my first year, I had one week where I didn't have work coming in, but I've yeah. worked ever since. And, uh, I'm that's great. And my bills, I'm doing okay, you know? And, but that's the thing, like learn there's not yeah. being good. You, you're not just good at stuff. Nobody's not just, some people might be more inclined, uh, to, to a skill than others, but practice always beats born talent. Absolutely. So that's, that's always my encouragement to people. It's like, yeah. you can, you can be talented and sure, whatever. I was not talented. I did not have a personal, like I did not, when I learned how to play guitar, I was not initially good at it. I had, right. to, I used to practice eight hours a day. I was homeschooled. My mom didn't make me do shit. And so yeah. I would sit and play guitar for eight hours a day. Yeah. And I can get a guitar that way. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the way you should approach it. If you have the ability to put that much effort into it, that's, that's how you should. And, you know, a learned talent is always much more appreciated Mm-hmm. by the person with the talent than an innate talent. Right. Yeah. Because if, if, if you were born with perfect pitch, you're, you're just, that's just you. You're just like, okay, so I have perfect pitch. Cool. Mm-hmm. But if you have, gone through voice lessons and you know stuff like that to to really achieve that that perfect voice Mm -hmm. you're gonna appreciate that because you've put so much work into it yeah it gives you a lot of respect for a craft and it gives you a lot uh there's nothing worse than meeting an arrogant artist or really people who are arrogant about their um have you ever heard of the dunning kruger effect i have the dunning kruger effect that it's like a theory that 
essentially they've, I think they've even statistically proven it, but the more you think you know about a subject, the more likely you are uninformed yeah. on that subject. So keeping the learning, keeping the learner's mind, keeping the mind of the student is mm -hmm. the goal. Like if you like Zen Buddhism, that's what it's yeah. about. It's like, uh, keeping the only way the student becomes the master is if they remain the student there in total, their total life. And, uh, they keep an open mind and they keep, uh, flexibility in their trade or their, their, uh, their skills or their lifestyle, you know? Um, yeah. So just keep an open heart and an open mind and everything you do be flexible. Um, Absolutely. And to kind of piggyback on what you just said about keeping an open heart and an open mind, um, this is going to be the last, last little segment. Um, you have a really solid podcast. Thanks. Man. The mystic anarchist. Correct. Yeah. Right name. Well, yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm actually, I'm doing two podcasts right now. Um, yeah. And I just recently started the mystic anarchist. Um, and the mystic anarchist, uh, is, well, let me tell you a little bit about the other podcast I'm doing first. Yeah. Um, yeah. Analyze podcast. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I met, I've, I have a longtime friend. Um, I was actually friends with his younger brother. Um, he's one of my best friends growing up and yeah. Uh, he's this guy that, that I'm doing this podcast with. Um, I didn't really know him when I was hanging around with his brother, but re more recently we would get into some rather lively debates on Facebook. Yeah. Um, me being a, a, a Christian and, uh, me, especially a couple of years ago when I was a conservative Christian, I was a very evangelical right. conservative you know, very, what everybody thinks of a Christian when they hear the, the word evangelical or uh, yeah, the term Christian, I was a very mainstream kind of Christian. Um, yeah. even though I, I hated it and didn't want to be, um, yeah. I was still that because I wanted to fit into that institutional box of the church. Uh, yeah. and so I get into debates with this guy, but the weird thing was, somehow we could show each other respect and um, could be friendly in our debate. And, and that's rare. Yeah. And he's very atheist. He's super atheist. Yeah. Um, and so we eventually were like, Hey man, let's start a podcast and we can talk about all these. When I started going through my de deconstruction of my faith and I started questioning my faith, we started doing this podcast and, uh, I, uh, I started subscribing to Christian mysticism instead of evangelical Christianity, uh, right. much more open and broad. And, uh, so we find, we're trying to find common ground, me, a, a Christian mystic and, uh, Thomas, uh, a very atheist guy. And we have lots of, uh, other people who come on and co-host that are absolutely phenomenal, super interesting people. Um, 
and we analyze stuff. We dig into uh, big issues. We dig into faith and science, and we really try to critically think about everything that we present uh, on the Analyze podcast. And then, but at the same time, there were some things that I wanted to conversate with people about that didn't really fit in the mold of uh, Analyze podcast. So I started right. a podcast uh, called The Mystic Anarchist. And it's, it's different because I focus more on just spirituality and art um, yeah. with that podcast. And, and we talk about the music scene a lot. And we're going to talk about uh, occultism and, and other kinds of religions. And, um, it's a, it's a wild show, man. We, uh, you know, I'm, it's kind of the place where I want to give people, I'm going to talk about all the weird, uncomfortable stuff in spirituality yeah. that was called heretical or was called, uh, you know, don't, don't, talk about this stuff it's it's not healthy it's right not good for you well i'm gonna talk about it and and because i'm tired of people telling me we can't talk about this stuff in the church if we can't talk about it in the church if we're not going to talk about problems with spirituality in the church well i'm gonna walk outside of the church and i'm going to talk about this stuff and exactly um give people permission you know so uh, you know, I'm not an anarchist per se, I guess you, uh, politically, I'm not really an anarchist. I like right. the idea of everyone being their own individual sovereign and just doing the right thing, right. Trying to treat other people the way they want to be treated or treating other people the way they prefer to be treated. Um, it sounds good on paper. Anarchy sounds great on paper. That's not the way a lot of people present anarchy. Right. Uh, I think, and that's the thing. Um, words are very manipulated things. We can take a word and we can twist it around and make it mean something very different. And that can be a good thing or a bad thing. So that's kind of what I'm digging into. And I, I think that people need to make their faith their own. And I think yeah. that the way to salvation is you making your faith your own and it, making it something that is real, is tangible. It's something you can back up with your actions and with your life. And uh, yeah, man, it's been a fun podcast. I just yeah. put out our third episode this morning. Yeah, uh, I saw that. I'm going to have to check it out later today. And then uh, next week, I think I'm going to be putting out the episode I'm doing with you. Cause I want to, I want to awesome. uh, promo your podcast. You know, I, I that's another I big, appreciate thing. that. I believe in this format. I believe in the format of podcasting. We went from too. being a culture of Snapchat and vines and Instagram, yeah. very immediate, small little bits of content. And then all of a sudden long form conversation came booming back. Yeah. And, uh, I think we, you know, we just need more people doing it. The, the internet, I think so too. Uh, a hostile place. And it really is. Uh, I think podcasting is the place where 
the internet can uh, don't get me wrong there's a lot of bad podcasts out there too but <laughs> yeah there's a great wellspring to take from in the podcast world i can go to my job and just listen to podcasts all day long and i can become Absolutely. very well versed on just about any subject i want to know about oh yeah you know so i i love it and so anybody i can promote and help build podcasts i'm going to encourage the hell out of them to do it anybody i can encourage to create uh anything any kind of art form telling stories uh music paintings photography whatever the heck it is animation um if it's somebody making a video game uh right playthrough whatever you know like I'm okay. You know, I, somebody was showing me, uh, somebody sent me a, uh, Twitch video of some dude yeah. playing Minecraft talking about, um, COVID-19 laws and like, I, and talking about all the news and all of the yeah. stuff surrounding all of the details of COVID-19. And it's just some dude playing video games. Like, and that's, that's, I think that's the beauty of things like Twitch streaming and yeah. shit like that is you've got these dudes that are sitting in their rooms some of them like full-blown studios mm -hmm. playing video games so you get to enjoy that if if you if you want to watch it for the video games but then at the same time you've got this dude who's you know talking about real shit that's going on in his life or throughout the world. And it's like, you can have your cake and eat it too, yeah. I guess. Like you can sit and watch a dude play video games, but also get news or mm -hmm. learn something or just soak in knowledge that you maybe didn't have before yeah it kind of feels like you know the uh like that era that existed before um cell phone like having internet access on your phone <laughs> yeah like you just go hang out with people and play video games and just talk about whatever yeah or you just go hang out and jam music and talk about whatever there was like yeah it's about the closest we can get to some of the communal experiences we probably had in our early teenage years. Oh, absolutely. Felt very genuine. You Definitely. Know I mean? So I have a lot of respect for it. Like people need to, the more that people are communicating in uh, formats that aren't argumentative or violent. The better. Yeah. And so, um, that's, that's my big thing. Like, uh, practicing what you preach and, uh, I'm, I'm a big, believer. I'm a big believer in nonviolence. Uh, a lot of, yeah. you, you're not going to find that. in a lot of the Christian world, and, <laughs> you really uh, aren't. Um, but you know, man, uh, we just gotta, we gotta keep talking and dialoguing and the, the, Absolutely. Further, the further we get from that like the worse things get it just yeah that's the way it feels 
the less that we talk about shit and let like yeah let's argue and let's let's disagree with each other and discourse is good sometimes yeah no uh, yeah and healthy conflict and and uh you know like there's nothing wrong with telling somebody that they're that something's shitty or that they're being an asshole like exactly uh i i don't really believe in like canceling people i think that you can present all of somebody's bullshit like i i'm not opposed to canceling people either like let's right. present everybody's bullshit if somebody's doing bad shit like that doesn't mean that we should take their entire livelihood from them that just means they're an asshole yeah. and we should criticize them as an asshole like yeah talk shit about the person i don't care like let's do it let's let's talk shit about people and and argue with people uh but let's keep the conversation going and not get violent as long as exactly you know i i but i grew up i grew up in the era of howard stern you know so yeah same and jerry springer (laughs) yeah yeah so uh let's keep talking even though it's uncomfortable and awkward i'm i'm all for yeah but yeah i i just looked at the screen uh yep let's uh, it's been super fun uh absolutely um the mystic anarchist podcast analyze where where can we get that uh you can get it um you can get mystic anarchist on spotify I don't think we're up on Apple yet for some reason. I just I don't know. It's taking. Yeah, I this isn't up on Apple either. I don't I don't know what takes them so long, but I'm on just about everything else but Apple. Hmm. We are, but uh, yeah, Apple, Apple Podcasts, um, anywhere podcasts are pretty much analyzed is on apple podcast uh and Spotify and everything else but the analyzed podcast mystic anarchist um you want to hear some some music you can go check out so smug so smug s-o-s-m-u-g um perfect spotify and all that stuff uh but yeah man it's been good man um we'll have to do this again for sure dang dude um but yeah, it it's been good. Everybody, go check out what Eli's got going on because he's he's really putting a lot of work into this stuff, and I think it's I think it's going to grow exponentially here in the next short little bit. Right on, man. I hope so. I you know having a painting business is cool, but I'd love to be doing art full time and yep. music full time and creating content. Uh, that's probably a long shot and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, uh, kill myself over it, but (laughs) you know, we need, uh, we need to be, we need to give our lives meaning. Absolutely. And I totally believe in everything you're doing. I appreciate that dude. But Hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm no guru. Don't, don't (laughs) like, I don't want to be a guru. I don't want to be a life coach. I just yeah. want to talk to people about interesting shit. You do Same. too. By all Same means. here. And so everybody, if you're listening to Monty's podcast right now, 
keep listening to Monty's podcast. Give him, you. give him a, an incentive to do this uh, and share it, you know, because uh, the more people we can have talking about stuff um, that's not, uh, you know, inflamed political confusion yeah. all day long, uh, yeah. you know, let's let's do that. And, and then maybe we can all get on the same track and uh, support each other. You heard that new uh, Tom McDonald cho- uh, joint. You heard that? You listen to Tom McDonald? I have not. I, I do listen to some of his stuff. I've not listened to the most recent stuff, though. Oh, it's man. been probably five or six months since I ever actually checked out any of his stuff. Right. I, ha- out. I don't think I've listened to him in like a year and a half, two years, but he just yeah. put out like a track. I think he just put out a track called no lives matter. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, I'll have to check that one out, man. Yeah. We just, we need to like, we keep like, if you're a Republican, Democrats aren't your enemy. And if you're a Democrat, Republicans aren't your enemy. No. We need to quit treating each other like enemies and like figure this shit out because it's getting really it's getting nasty stupid it's getting yeah. nasty i mean maybe it's always been nasty but maybe this is an maybe opportunity we're just not seeing it yeah maybe this is an opportunity where we can put down the nasty and and just try to like help each other yeah but yeah dude thank you so much for having me on dude it's thank you for Monty. thank you for coming on All right, bro. Well, uh, peace out. All right. We'll, uh, we'll do this again sometime.